0: Amen. Happy Father's Day. It's good to be with you. Me my family was on vacation for a few days this week, and but it's a, it's good to be back for worship today. As we as we crawl very slowly and in, in, in through the Book of Romans, and I hope you should have a couple things in your hand. One is some sermon notes that look like this. Um, the other thing has a blue top on it that looks like this. This is our small group curriculum. It's... is paired with the message where we've been looking at paul's uh conversion and then his life and ministry in our small groups as how we put that together of understanding romans and so i hope you avail yourself of both um, our purpose and strategy as a church is on the back you'll see that that funnel it's actually in the lobby as well and our s- small groups are going to see through the life of Paul, where we got that from. And so, but anyway, I want us to, the next couple weeks, to just work through these first few verses of Romans, just a verse or two at a time. We're not getting in any hurry as as we make it through the book of Romans. We're going to treasure it as we've been singing and and, uh, and very slowly. So I was going to preach verses 2 to 7. That didn't last long. I messed up poor Micah. I had all the services planned <laughs> and replant all of them. You know, it's just like, but I, I just couldn't get past verses 2 to 4. So verses 2 to 4 is what we're going to look at today. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 7 because every week I want us to understand as we put this together how it's all connected. So let's stand with our feet in reverence to God's Word, just a reminder, the prayer, from prayer to the reading of God's Word. We do not pray here at our church as a means of transition. You know what I mean? So you've seen churches, they pray so the, the praise team can get off and the preacher can come up. No, prayer's not a transition. Prayer, prayer is us talking to God, it's worship. And, uh, and so let us hear what God has to say to us now. Romans chapter 1. Beginning verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the nations of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just God's word. Lord, as we come to you hearing this letter that was written to your church, and now we are sitting here, as the church has done for generations, to hear from you. We ask you to help us this our own Father's Day. Lord, this is not a Father's Day exclusive message, but what a message talking about. There are things, and there's a person, and there are people that you have called us to be devoted to. To so draw a circle around our life. And may we give what belongs to you, everything. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So we are going to work real slowly, but the main idea over the next couple of weeks is not going to change. And so you see it here. The power of the gospel brings a devoted partnership calling us first to God, bringing us together, deploying us on mission. For the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're looking at all of those aspects. Paul began, you remember, by identifying himself as a slave of Jesus Christ, which means that he was his will was bound up in Christ. Everything was, belonged to him. That's how he first identifies himself, and this is the truth this morning. If you struggle with your identity, you will struggle with healthy commitments. Healthy relationships will always be an issue if you don't understand who you are. Paul says, I am a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. So we asked last week, do you know who you are? Because here's the issue. We're always going to struggle with these tensions. And if we don't know these things, we're going to either go towards... Codependency or self-dependency. Codependency, if you've ever been in one of those weird kind of relationships where everybody's real clingy, seems pretty cool for the first few weeks, and it just gets weird. It's like you can't go to the gas station or the grocery store. You want to know, where are you going? What, how long are you going to be? get back? You know, they're real clingy like Velcro. You know, they're always sort of stuck to you but it could be self dependency where we build up walls of protection to keep people out of our life could be we have an identity issue Paul said my identity is in Christ what this does what we have to understand is identity precedes devotion if you can't get to devotion if you have trouble with commitment you got to go back first so what he's saying is What have you done with Jesus? That's essential. Paul's identity produced something in his life. It produced devotion that led to mission, led to a love of God's people. It led for a love of the lost. So we're back to the age-old question, who is Jesus this morning? Paul was redeemed, we looked at this last week, Paul was redeemed, surrendered, and submitted to the two words I want you to understand. To the biblical Jesus and to the historical Jesus. There is only one Jesus. So let's see who he is this morning. The gospel brings, as we tie this back together from last week, the good news. The good news is good for multiple reasons, but at least two for us to know first that God exists And has made us for Himself. God exists. He made us for Himself. And if that's true this morning, if that is true, then He informs your identity and your purpose. Though we've sinned, second aspect of good news. Though we've sinned and separated ourselves from God, God loved us, and he took took the first step in saving us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if that's true, we need to know who Jesus is, and we first need to know the biblical Jesus. That's what he's introducing us to here right from the beginning. I just I tried to do, to do that in my voice as I was reading the text. Everything's a comma. There's no period here. Just... Just bam, bam, bam. But this is Paul. You got to get to know him. Told somebody last week after the service, Paul was an intense brother. As we go through, you're going to see that. He was intense, intense. So, right from the start, he's he's on point. Promised beforehand through the prophets and holy scriptures. The good news, the person and work of Jesus Christ, he said was promised. Beforehand So let's just look at that promise beforehand So turn with me If you've got your little tassel in your Bible We're going to do it too Mark Romans Flip back to Acts Verse 13 Let's look at a sermon We don't have time to look at it in detail I do just want you to peruse it with me Just look over it And notice something by the way, if you want to know how to teach, if you want to know how to pitch vision, if you want to know how to do things, you need to slow down and not only understand what's, what you're reading, but why he is saying what he is saying. So Paul is in a Jewish synagogue here, and he's talking to a Jewish audience. And so what does he do? Just notice with me from verse 13 to 16 is where we sort of get our context. He's in Antioch of Pasada, and and he starts to preach. And so, in verse sixteen, where does he start? He starts with where they would understand. He goes back to scripture and he goes back to history. He starts with the fathers, that is Abraham, and he works his way all the way up to Saul the king in verse twenty-one. But in verse verse twenty-two, he gets to David. This is important. He's going to stay on David this, for these next couple of verses. That was being important to them. He goes from David to the Messiah. Look at verse twenty-three. He said, of this man's David, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Verse 32, look down at verse 32. The Old Testament good news. It says, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, children, by raising Jesus as also, now listen to what he's doing now. Is written in the second psalms, "'You are my son, today I have begotten you.'" That's Psalms 2, verse 7. Verse 34, "'And as for the fact he raised him from the dead, "'no more to return to corruption, "'he has spoken in this way, "'I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David.'" He is quoting Isaiah 55, verse 3, verse 35. "'Therefore he says also in another psalm, "'you will not let your holy ones see corruption.'" Paul is quoting Psalm 16 and verse 10. When he preaches, when he shares the gospel with people who do not believe, he stays on the text, preaches the Bible. That's what he said. It was promised beforehand. This Messiah would do things that God said was going to happen beforehand. That's how we know that this is the only one. If Jesus is the Messiah, there's things that were spoken of in detail that would be happen. And it was spoken of beforehand. And if it didn't happen, he's not the one. And if it did happen, we are a fool to ignore it. While we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on secular education, but we have not spent three hours studying the person and work of Jesus Christ. And dare to make a decision that will ha- determine your destiny? We better wake up, brothers and sisters, and our children better wake up. We need to understand it was promised beforehand, this Jesus, through the Scriptures. And these Scriptures are holy. Do you see that, verse 2? Holy Scriptures. Second Peter 1.20 says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit so let us understand what paul is saying and what he is claiming as whether you are reading the book of exodus or whether you are reading the book of romans they are these are not simply historical accounts or theological insights from some human author that tells us how to live good moral lives. This is good news that comes out of the mind of God with the power to change hearts and lives. That's what it is. Turn with me to Luke 24. This is a a post-resurrection account. Jesus, after his resurrection, and we'll get to this, was witnessed by Hundreds of peoples who gave their lives to him. Two of these men were on a road to Emmaus when the risen Christ appeared to him. And Jesus engaged them. Verse 25 says, He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Verse 27 And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he had interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. All of the Bible points in one direction. These men could not stand it. They get up even though it was night, there was no buses, there was no, there was no lamps, uh, lights on the road. And they go back to the disciples, and in verse 44, Jesus shows up. Listen to what he says. These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And the, then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses to these things. He promised beforehand according to the scriptures. The Christian faith is not some fable invented by men to give you false hope in life and comfort at death. It's not not His purpose. It was determined by God's sovereign, definite, predetermined, deliberate plan that it should turn out in a detailed way and fit only one person in history. And that one person was Jesus Christ. So understand this clear, though most of our Bibles show us that we spend all our time in in the new and not in the old. For Paul, the good news, not new news. Because the Old Testament contained the gospel of salvation. That was what they were preaching from. Listen to John Stott. There's usually something in my studies that just gets a hold of me all week and I just can't get it out of my head. This, this quote was one of it. Quote, The person and work of Christ are the rock upon which the Christian religion is built. If he is not who he said he was and he did not do what he said he came to do, the foundation is undermined, and the whole superstructure will collapse. Take Christ from Christianity, and you will disembowel it. There is practically nothing less. Listen to this. Christ is the center of Christianity. All else is circumference. Draw, a, If you're taking notes, draw a circle on your page. Everything inside that circle is about Jesus. He is not the bullseye of your life. There is no center. We oftentimes draw that and put the gospel there. John Stott was saying, no, you're missing the point. He is everything. If you take him out of Christianity, all you have is a pencil line with nothing in it. No purpose, no meaning, and no reason. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 said. If he's not raised from the dead, what in the world are we doing? But if he has been raised from the dead... He's worth everything. There is an inseparable connection for Paul between the promised Messiah and the historically biblical Jesus. The promised Messiah is the historical Jesus. That's why he gets stuck, as it were, on David. Notice verse 3. It said, now God's good news, keep connecting that, God's good news concerning his son, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. You simply cannot read Paul with halfway awake and not see the importance of theology and doctrine. It is critical for Paul. At some point in our life, whether you're young or whether you're old, you go to somewhere like Ancestry.com and you will begin to say, okay, I'm going to track out my family tree. That was critical if you were a Jew. Your heritage was important. It was traced through your Father. So is Jesus merely a myth that we just believe by some blind faith? Paul says, not on your life. We don't do anything blindly. We should study it thoroughly. And the first thing we should study is who is Jesus. It's called Christology if you're going to be an elder at this church, you're going to have to do your doctrinal work. And you ought to be doing it. It's important. It was important to Paul, and it's important to anybody that dares to open their mouth about Jesus that we know who we're talking about, both intellectually and personally. So who is Jesus? Paul raises the banner here. Now, what is this talking about? who was descended from David is he just simply talking about his humanity and his deity which is true right it's true in Scripture part of our doctrine and our beliefs but if you look at the word descended and then in verse 4 he says he was declared well what he's talking about here what he wants us to see and both a biblical and a historical light is the, is the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ and the exaltation. Scripture teaches both. First, let's look at his humiliation. It says, he descended from David according to the flesh. So what does he mean, he descended from David. Well, if you want to go back to Acts 13, near that sermon that he was laying out, you'll see it. Uh, he talks about David. There again, there was a Jewish audience here in this message. Verse 36 of Acts 13, he says, For David, after he has served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. That means he went back to dirt like everybody else does. Verse 37, But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Jesus did what nobody else could do. Give us freedom from the inside out. The point here, is Jesus had a family tree. Yes, he had a human nature like ours, but as it pertained to his humanity, he had both a family tree and he had a beginning. Isaiah 11.1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, Behold, the days are coming to close the Lord when I will raise up from David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. He is getting us to understand that this Jesus came from the line of Jesse through David, then Solomon, all the way to Joseph and Mary. You would sit there going, well, Joseph wasn't his Biological father. It doesn't matter. He was was his adopted father. And an adoption is a past tense experience. There are only children in the family. And they still traced it through the father. Lineages was important. That both Mary and Joseph both came from the lineage of David. From the seed of Jesse. Just like scripture says. In, In other words, Lee Strobel If you've never read The Case for Christ, you should. He he eloquently puts it that Jesus gives, the Bible gives us fingerprint evidence for Jesus. And this fingerprint evidence for Jesus demands determination. Jesus is the only one the evidence points to. That he is the promised Messiah. But why do we call it humiliation? So Jesus descended. He has a family tree. As it pertained to his human nature, it had a starting point in a cave or a shack or whatever that was that Joseph and Mary was in at the time. He he was born in a time and space. Why do we call that humiliation? We know this passage. Just listen to it. Philippians 2, 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, this is yours in Christ, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so what we're talking about with his humiliation is his birth, his life, earthly life and ministry, and his sufferings. That's his humiliation. question is, why? Jesus, as God the Son, took up a lesser nature that would come through an actual bloodline, an actual family tree. He became a man, but he was declared to be God. In other words, this is common sense, really, when you think about it. For God the Son to be human was humiliating. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, Though God was rich, for our sake He became poor so that we might become rich. He came via natural birth. Yes, it was a virgin birth, but He still came by natural birth. Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born a woman, born under the law. God had to go through, God the Son had to go through everything that we had to go through, and that is humiliating. That's the point. That's the doctrine. That's what David, That's where David's starting with. Uh, who is Jesus? Isaiah 53.3 says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from men hid their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. And Listen. Historically, Jesus died. This is just one. I just didn't have any time for anything else, but I did want you to see this one little tidbit of historical information. There was a, there was a Roman historian named Tacitus. He lived from A.D. 55 to A.D. 120. He wrote a letter, and he, what he was talking about was Nero's slaughter of Christians that would happen in the mid-60s. So think about it, Romans was written about 57, and within 10 years, Nero would, would come on the scene and he would slaughter the people in Rome, use them as candles. This, this man was talking about this issue and what he does historically, listen, as a hostile witness, do you understand what a hostile witness is? This dude did not care a bit about Christians, he hated them. So what we are saying is, is this guy in history wrote a letter, and we can read from the letter and understand some historical realities about who Jesus is. So let's see what he said. I got six points of what this pagan Roman historian said about Jesus. First, he, he calls him Christus. He says that Christians are named after their founder, Christus. Tacitus says then that Christus died from the death penalty during the reign of the emperor Tiberius that reigned from A.D. 14 to A.D. 37. He says, number three, that Pontius Pilate the, was the procurator and sentenced Christ to death. He lived from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. Listen to what he says. Remember, hostile witness. He says... Christus death ended the pernicious superstition for only a short time. They thought the pernicious superstition now was the Christian faith. And what the, what the, what he said was we thought when they killed him this was over. And it was you know short time it's done. Number 5. The pernicious superstition broke out once more in Judea, the home of the disease. Right? You see it? He's not giving you an account because he likes Christians. He's just telling you what historically happened. He says, the disease, Christianity, spread all the way to Rome and had a large enough following to receive blame for the great fire. That great fire was the fire that, that Nero set himself. This is the church that Paul was writing to. The church that would be slaughtered by Nero, including the author of this book and Peter himself. you got to do something with this, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ was not just something that this Bible says that happened. Jesus was a person in history that, that friend and foe alike said it happened. And after his death, this religion explodes Nobody could explain it, and nobody can control it. Paul calls for us to be devoted to this Jesus through his humiliation, but also through his exaltation. Verse 4. And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you underline your Bible, there's a couple of words here at least that you need to underline to make sure you don't miss it in this text. He was declared in power by the resurrection. Declared in power by the resurrection. Exaltation. What what do we mean? What does Scripture mean? Why do we call it that? It was how we describe the resurrection, the ascension, and the enthronement of Jesus Christ. One was his humiliation, the other is his exaltation. Jesus is declared to be the Son of God. Now be careful here, because at this point is the things where cults spring up. Jesus was not some human that God said, Look at his life, I'm so impressed, I'm going to adopt him into, to, as my son, and that he becomes the first of all of us. No. No. Jesus simply, brothers and sisters, didn't give us that option biblically. John 10.10, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. In John 8.58, he said, before Abraham was what? I am. I am Yahweh. I was before your father's The resurrection then puts God's divinity on display for the world to see. It has been declared to the nations. What was shrouded in humanity is now declared to all peoples. Jesus was and is the eternal Son of God. That's why in Philippians 2, he just didn't end with that, he emptied himself. He said, because in Philippians 2, verse 7, because he emptied himself, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, whether on earth or under the earth. And confess what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think he explains what Paul means here in such a, a powerful way, no pun intended. Pet pun intended. Quote, the Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of God before. He is always the Son of God. He was the Son of God before the incarnation and from all eternity. What then is the variation? It is the form that he assumes. And what he has been, what he is, we have told in verse 3 is that he came into the world. He did not come as the Son of God with power. No, he came as a helpless baby. He was the Son of God, yes, but not the Son of God with power. In other words, when he came as a baby, the power of the Son of God was veiled in flesh. But What the apostle says, that at the resurrection, he is declared to be the Son of God with power. It is there we realize how powerful he is. You see that? That's what he means here. He did not begin to be the Son of God. He was clothed in humiliation as flesh. But because he is alive, it, the, the veil now is ripped off and he is declared to be. It changed everything. This begins, as it were, a new phase, new phase in our redemptive history. At the resurrection, ascension, and enthronement of Jesus Christ, everything changes. Jesus is no longer noticed by weakness or frailty or even submission. He is known by strength, power, and glory. Changes everything. The means of His exaltation is clear. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changes everything in this life and everything in your life, whether you believe it or understand it or not. Changes everything. Notice it said that he is, Jesus is who he says he is by means of the resurrection, according to the spirit of holiness. Do you see that? It says, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What does Paul mean? Is he, is he talking about Jesus' inner man? could be that Jesus was God, therefore holy from the inside out. Or is it talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, just a couple of passages that sort of help us think what I, I believe this text is getting to here. In Acts 10, 38, it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. In 2 Corinthians 13 4, it says, For he who is crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we are also we were also weak in him, but in dealing with you we will live with him by the power of God. So yes, Jesus was holy, perfectly holy. But I believe this is reference to the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that he was conceived in in Luke 1, 35. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke 4. In John 3, he had the Holy Spirit without measure. He had the Holy Spirit empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was through the Holy Spirit that he was raised from the dead. Jesus had the power to lay it down and Jesus had the power to raise it up again. The same creative power, the Father willed it, the Word spoke it, the Holy Spirit administers it. That's the way the Trinity works. Jesus was declared to be our risen Lord. He was declared. This is how we get to Jesus' Lord. We get there biblically. We get there historically. To speak then That Jesus is Lord is to say at least two things. That he is the promised Messiah, Yahweh of the Old Testament. And to say that Jesus has the absolute rule and rights to everything. And I surrender to it. It's both. Here's a question. Can Jesus be your Savior but not your Lord? It's popular teaching. Some of the people we really like to listen to, even though we may not know it, believe, may even make fun of Lordship salvation. I'm asking you to look at the text today. Make your own decision what the text is saying. Is it possible? It's a text teaching us That we can have faith in Christ, but no devotion to Christ. It's the text teaching us that we can have some kind of devotion to Christ, but no faith. No. Does our devotion grow? Yes, it grows with our spiritual maturity. But make no mistake, who Jesus is demands something. And what it demands is our devotion. It is a dangerous thing to say I have faith, but it doesn't affect my commitments. Why? Because James says you may well just have the same knowledge the devil has. James 2.19 says you believe that God is one? You're doing well. Even the devils believe that and shudder. So what makes the difference between a Christian and a child of Satan Is what have you done with Jesus? And what do you know how you've done with Jesus? Is that He is Lord. I don't make Him Lord and neither do you. He is Lord. He was declared to be Lord when He was raised from the dead. We surrender. We submit to that Lordship. And when we do, that comes with our absolute devotion. No comma, no nothing, no if, no I'll get there one day. Right now I'm trying to. None of that. You're not submitted to it. What are you doing is you have made another Lord, another idol, something else, Jesus. and Jesus will not stand for second place. There is nothing else in the center. Jesus is everything, or He's nothing. And He has laid it out to us today that He is the Messiah. And he is the king, and he has proved it biblically, and he has proved it historically. The question is, what are we going to devote our lives to? (laughs) I was relaxing at the beach, working to, flipping through a book. It was a guy that did his, it was a forensic um, guy, and he was, had some good quotes in there, and I ran across this by R.C. Sproul. I think he put it right on the head, especially on Father's Day. Just a good good poke for us as men. Adam was here. He'd say, you know, yeah, we need that. Here then, quote R.C. Sproul, here then is the real problem, our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, But because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we're lazy. What's that, Vodie Balkum says? If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. It's one of those moments. Fathers, I don't know of a better reflection today than to ask you to pray that God would increase your devotion. Increase your commitment first to Him and then to others. Devotion. Ponder that word. Devotion involves multiple things, but a couple of things. It involves perseverance. It involves something personal. A giving of oneself in service to someone or something. It's the same thought as being faithful. Faithful to our friends, faithful to our families, faithful to our spouses, faithful to our church. What what Paul is saying very clearly, before I bring up anything else, you need to understand, Jesus is the inside of the circle that gives meaning to everything else and every relationship that you have. And if you don't put him in there, everything will end in a flaming pile of dung. Jesus is everything. And it changes everything. To, de- to devote ourselves informs some things. You see them on your outline. It informs our thinking. Our thinking. And me, over the last nine months, I've learned this. And really, over the last ten years, well, how I deal with this thing between my ears. It's critical. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Allow Jesus to teach you. That's what that word means, by the way, learn. Not my definition. That's why they picked this word. It means to learn from to be teachable, be devoted to Jesus. Let Him inform the way you think. Let Him inform your life choices. Listen, it doesn't matter how many zeros are on your W-2. I can promise you as, as someone who has experienced it, Jesus always takes care of His own. Through miraculous ways and normal ways. Our morals, our standards, our goals, our finances, our friend groups. How we achieve our goals. Jesus informs them all. 1 Peter 2.21 To this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. Along with that. Be devoted to Christ informs our occupations. We spend a lot of time. I know some of you retire, praise the Lord. But you're still working. Some of you working more than what you did. It informs our occupation, our vocational lives. It informs the why and the how of it. Some of us are so unstable in our vocations because we have lost Jesus as our center. And with it, our why. Lose your why. You lose everything. Listen to the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7 God's people are in exile in a place they do not want to be. It says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. There's nothing more clear than that. Stop acting like everybody else. All these discontent people who only work at a place for a few months and bounce all over the place. Quit acting like people who do not will work for the good of the business that you work for. God placed you there. Can you not be the one person in that business that shows devotion? Because Christ is at your center. He informs it. May we have people that one day will look back and say, you worked at a place for 30 years, not because it was easy to work for, but because that's where Christ placed me for the glory of God to make an impact. As those those people go, I worked in a machine shop for 30 years, and I saw people come and people go, and I realized God put me there not only to train me, but he put me there as just a person, just to stop as these people go in and out, in and out. He places you there. To bring the gospel to bear. He changes everything. And Make no mistake. Christ informs our politics. To be devoted to Christ informs our politics. We labor for the good of our city and our nation. To whom we are a steward. How do we not then get involved in it? As Jesus said, render to the government the things that belongs to the government. But don't forget to render to God. The things that belong to God. Here's the question. What belongs to God this morning? Everything. Everything. Who is Jesus? He's the promised Messiah and reigning king. What belongs to him? Absolutely everything. Beginning first this morning with your devotion. Let's pray. Lord. Lord. Thank you that you stopped me this week from just doing what I planned to do because there was so much goodness here. And Lord, I still feel like I rushed over these couple verses. Thank you for the depth of your word, the unsearchable value of it. Thank you that these texts give us so much to to read and study and think about for all of our life long. And we will never mind its depths. But, oh, God, that we know who we are following today. Oh, God, my prayer is from the youngest to the oldest that they're not following you because their parents followed you. God, you have proven who you are through the sending of your son. In time and space, and all that He done, that nobody else could do, the way He done to fulfilled what you said was going to happen, Lord, I God, I remember the first time I realized this, because it's not easy to follow You some days. But Lord, we declare today, as Peter declared, "Where shall we go? You have the words of life." And I pray today. That you would bring every soul in this room to your feet where they can find rest for their souls. Where they can find meaning and purpose to their lives. Oh God, that you would give rest to people who have just tired of constantly trying to give their own life meaning and purpose when you have created us for it. God, you have created us to enjoy you. as a father takes such joy when his children are enjoying the life in the family gives him joy and gives you joy when you see your children treasuring you and enjoying every second of it and so I pray that you would bring salvation peace and joy and purpose and meaning that you would give us, convict us as men in this room that we have to be the points of the Spirit in their devotion. We set the pace. We set the example that Christ has given us. Oh God, may you raise up men today to be fathers of their home, employers in their business, employees that glorify you, and husbands That'll love their wives. Grandfathers that will invest in their grandchildren. That we will not waste one more second of this short little time that we have you call life. And so, Lord, we give it to you all today. And now we come to you because we want to worship you. We want to exalt you because your son is alive. And so, Lord, we want to... Celebrate all of the gospel today. The tables are set, and we want to come to the tables. We don't come to the tables celebrating a dead Messiah. We come to the tables celebrating a risen one that gave it all so that we could be yours. We give as a steward of what you have entrusted to us. And we worship because you alone are worthy. Receive our worship. Send us out as your ambassadors for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.